welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 5th of February 2012, entitled, Our Relationship with Jesus Christ, Part 2. And the Bible reading is taken from John, chapter 13, verses 1 to 20. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. John, chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Summon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean everywhere, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, you're not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me. He that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. Father, we thank you again for our time together this evening, for the time that we have been able to share together in, in, in prayer and in song. Now, Lord, we thank you particularly for your word that we've just had the privilege of reading from. We thank you for your spirit that lives and dwells within us. And, Father, we pray now that through that spirit that you might take and, Lord, bring these words alive to each and every hearer this evening. Father, you know the needs of the heart. 
We pray that you would speak that which is most needed under the power and the unction of the Spirit, that you may receive all the glory and honor. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. A simple thought today is on the idea of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now we began this morning by looking a little bit of an overview of the Gospel of John and, and, and where that we ended up here. And of course these events that are taking place that we saw last week that we're seeing tonight here in verses 13, 14, 53, these things took place just as Christ was ending his time here upon this earth. We said that the book of John is about Jesus ministering to people and their needs. And here we find him ministering particularly to his disciples, his followers, those that were nearest to him. As we look here this evening, we want to remind ourselves again as I made this statement this morning, and we will move on, that one of the primary things that we're seeing in this passage is humility. The humility of our Lord Jesus Christ as he humbled himself. Now, the washing of the feet was a very practical thing in those days because they had their sandals, they had dusty roads, they didn't have nice uh, uh, pavements and tarmacs like you and I have to, uh, uh, to walk on, and so it was a normal thing uh, for people to wash their guests' feet when they came and entered their home. But it was a sign of, of, of humility to humble yourself down to do this, one of the lowest and, you know, not a very nice job to get down there washing the dirt off somebody's feet. But Jesus did this to his disciples. But the thing I reminded you this morning is we're not belittling that humility, and we'll come back to that. But once again, what is often overlooked here is the phenomenal grace that is being pictured in this passage. Because Jesus knew, even in what we just read and the other passages surrounding this, we know Jesus was washing their feet. These were those that he chose. And even though that he knew, as he just talked about, that there was one amongst them that wasn't really part of them, that wasn't really clean, the one called Judas that was going to betray him. Judas still ate with them. Jesus still washed his feet. He's talking to Peter here in this passage. Jesus knew, and he's going to be enlightening Peter to the fact that Peter, after all the things that they had gone through together, that Peter was about to deny him and deny not only that he didn't know it, that he didn't have anything to do with him whatsoever. Jesus knew that. And yet he humbled himself and washed that man's feet. We said that Jesus was also about to make it clear to all of these apostles that they were all about to abandon him when the crunch came. When it come down to him being pulled in before the authorities, being falsely accused, and being nailed to that cross, they were all going to scatter. We talked about some of those things that, boy, when somebody has offended us, our actions and what it does, but we need to realize and understand Jesus already knew all of this, and yet he humbled himself to wash their dirty feet. And he told us we ought to be willing to do the same thing for each other. Our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw this morning, first of all, that in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, 
that he's our sovereign. And we looked at that and how we have to come to recognize his sovereignty, the creator of all, that it's his law that we've sinned against, that it's him that we've sinned against, and all of those things. Our relationship with him begins with accepting his sovereignty and then going to him as Lord to seek that forgiveness. We saw, secondly, that our relationship with him has to do with the fact that he is our Savior. And we looked at that this morning, and we focused upon those things. We said this evening we're going to come back, God willing, we're going to look at three more aspects of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the truth is, I hope that you know with certainty, and as I look around this evening, as far as I know in this congregation, you're saved, you're on your way to heaven, you do know him as your sovereign, and you do know him as your Savior. But there's another aspect that we see here. That's the fact that we also need to see him as a servant as a servant. Now we saw this in our reading for today. The one that is sovereign above all else, the one that came to save us from our sins, humbling himself as a servant to others. Matthew chapter 20, verses 27 and 28 says, and whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That's pretty thought-provoking when you really stop to think about what is being said there. Jesus Christ himself, he set the example just as he did in the passage before us. But he came to this earth not to be ministered unto, not to be served, but to serve is what the passage. You see, a good servant always knows his place. He knows where he belongs. He knows his position. He knows that he is a servant that willingly obeys his master he knows that the master is the one that has the, the rights and the authority over him. And when we recognize that and remember that, it should really help us to realize what an awesome thing that we see. When we see the sovereign, the authority of everything that exists that is, the sovereign of sovereigns, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, we see him taking the servant role. We see him setting the example for us to serve others. You see, he came to be servant to us, and he asked us to do the same for others around us. In Isaiah chapter 57 in verse 15, he says, for thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble 
and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. We're not going to spend time there this evening, but I want to tell you, folks, God has no time for pride. God has no time for those that want the place of recognition, that want the place of authority, that want to be the chief. What did he say there in Matthew? Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. The chiefest of all chiefs came to be our servant. When it says, thus saith the high and lofty one, well, you would think that if somebody is in a position such as that, I mean, if you were going to make an, an appointment with the queen to, to be into her presence, you would think that naturally it would be you that would go to her. You would think that you would have to go very high in order to be able to have intimacy with that person. But God's showing us here that with him it's just the opposite that's true. You see, we don't reach God, the high and lofty one, by becoming high and lofty ourselves. We reach him from our knees. We reach him from a place of humility. We reach him from the lowest place that we can find. It's when we humble ourselves that we can then reach him. That's the only way to reach him. Matthew chapter 18, verse 4 says, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as a little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, you know, they brought the children to Jesus. And the problem was his apostles, those that were so near to him. And they didn't have time for those kids. That wasn't the important people. Jesus had more important things to do. But boy, Jesus straightened that out real quick. And Jesus let them know that even they, if they thought that they were so big and grown up and mature and all, they'd better make themselves as humble as one of those little children in order to be able to approach him. Those that are the most humble here are the ones that will be the greatest in the kingdom. If you today, if you even remotely listen to the ideas and the teaching of the world around us, and of course recognizing that I'm talking about a world that is teaching without God having any perspective in their thinking, without God having his rightful place, I promise you that in listening to them, you certainly aren't going to hear much about what Jesus is trying to teach us right here. As a matter of fact, what you will hear is a whole bunch of stuff about self-worth. You'll hear a whole bunch of stuff about how good you are and how good you've got to make yourself feel. God gives us a slightly different idea, doesn't he? You see, first, you've got to remember that in God's view, one soul is more valuable than all the riches of this world. 
He says in Matthew chapter 16, verses 25 and 26, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. He asks us a question. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? He's trying to put the perspective on where the real value lies. You see, with the soul being of such value that you can't find enough riches and wealth of this world to be able to buy one soul, to pay for the value of one soul. And yet, the soul being that valuable, God tells us that our goodness, our righteousness are as filthy rags. In other words, they're worthless. They're worth absolutely nothing. But even in, that worthless state, somehow God loves me, and God loves you, and God loves all those others out there more than all the riches in the world. That's amazing. That's, mind That's hard for me to get my head around that on the one hand, how valuable that you, one single individual, are to that God, and yet in a worthless state when all the good about you is absolutely worthless. How can we be so worthless in looking at our righteousness and yet be worth everything to Him? You see, He made it possible. He made it possible for my worthless goodness, my worthless righteousness. He made it able to be worth something. He's the one that did that, and he did it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you see, that's what's really important is him, Jesus Christ. We talked this morning as we came around the Lord's table that, you know, the only worthiness that any of us have is in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've shared with you the illustration, and so I won't go into great detail again this evening, but I'm reminded, and I just want to remind you. I, I can remember years ago in, in preparing a sermon and trying to get my head around this about how on the one hand that I am so totally worthless when it comes to me trying to do good and trying to be good and all the good that I can do, that it's just worthless. And yet at the same time, how that in that worthless state that I could be worth so much to God. And I gave you an illustration once. Some of you may remember it. We began that Christian journey. You know, there's a point in your life when you're in complete darkness. We sang that song a while ago. I was once in darkness. Now my eyes can see. We were all at one point in total darkness, and so many are still there today. But he's the light. 
there was a day when that light came on. And for the first time ever, you were able to see your sin. You were able to see what your sin was, how bad it was. And you were able to see the Lord Jesus Christ and what he had done to pay for that sin. There was a light. And then in obedience, you took and you received and accepted that light, and that light came to dwell within you. And so you began this journey no longer in darkness, but in light. But you see, as we look at the end of the journey, because we know where it's going to, Brother Steve, we know that one day, just as sure as you and I have been saved and justified in the Lord Jesus Christ, one day we're surely going to be sanctified. We're going to be glorified. We're going to be just like him, and nobody can stop that. It's as good as done because it's done in Christ. We know where it's going. But that light that you have, you ever have a look and see a few specks that you don't like? Come on. I'm a Christian. Why is this in my life? Why am I thinking that thought? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? The truth is, as we get closer to that ultimate end, as we get closer to Jesus Christ, he is the light. It is only by his light that we see. You know something? We could, we could shut the lights out in here tonight and we could could just light one light back there at the back. But in all this darkness, you'd see that light. The darkness could never overcome the light. You know what, Brother Steve? I may only be able, as I look at me, by that light, I might be able to see some things. But you know what happens as I get closer to the light? There's more shows up. I see more of the stuff I don't like because I'm getting closer to the light. Believe me, that light's bright. The closer I get to him, the more junk I see in my life. And wow, what a vicious circle. You mean, preacher, that the closer that we walk with the Lord, the closer that we get to him, then man, the, the, the more we hate ourselves, we're going to get so depressed. We're going to see all this bad stuff, and, and you know, we're just not going to want to go on. Why not keep our distance so we don't see all that stuff? Because the truth is this, folks. I'll guarantee you this. Until the day you receive that glorified body, the closer you get to the Lord Jesus Christ, the less you're going to like about yourself. This world's going to try to get you to like yourself just like you are in all of your sin and all of your fleshly thinking. But I'm telling you, the closer you get to him, the more you're going to dislike about yourself. But you know what? The more you're going to see about him, the more you're going to see his righteousness, the more you're going to recognize what you really have in him. You've got everything in him. It's all about him, though. That's what makes us worthwhile. That's what makes us valuable. That's what makes our righteousness something besides a pile of filthy rags. Jesus Christ. He came as a servant. He came to serve us in all of our worthlessness. You know what? 
something that is so frustrating. It's frustrating to every Christian. It's certainly frustrating to any God-called preacher. I can't change anybody's worthlessness. I can't do anything about it. I can't change that worthlessness into anything except more worthlessness. But in Christ, it can be changed. As long as your thinking is running along the lines of this world of how good you are rather than how good he is, you'll never know the intimacy of this relationship that we're speaking of. We need to recognize how blessed we are in him as a believer, as a child of God. Our focus has got to be upon and to remain upon Jesus Christ if our relationship is to be anything. It's got to be upon His worth, upon the blessedness that is ours if we're found in Him and not in ourselves. Unfortunately, the natural thing is to want to feel important. And those who are willing to genuinely take the low place are few. You see, we need to know that intimacy with Christ that can only come through humility. If we follow his example, if we're willing to humble ourselves and to be servant to those around us instead of feeling like we're the ones that have all the answers and we're the ones that are so much spiritually stronger and we're the ones that deserve this and we're the ones that deserve that. Whatever their state is, we talked this morning about God's unconditional love. And that's how he wants us. That was his commandment in these passages. That was the last commandment he was given to us, to love one another to love someone else. Luke chapter 22, verses 25 to 27, And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he that is chief, as he that does serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Jesus came for our good to serve us. One of the passages that we used to have all the kids memorize as part of the Christian school here. It's found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Why? These verses are so important in our lives. He said, if there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies 
Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, even the most humiliating death that he could possibly die. Verse 9, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, our relationship with Jesus Christ we need to grasp, folks. There is no more important relationship in all the world, and yet so many times we think about it so little. And you know, I don't know if any relationship, whether it's between husbands and wives, between parents and their children, between siblings and brothers and sisters, between anybody that just makes it all by itself. Relationships take some effort on the parts of both people. Our relationship with Jesus Christ, He is sovereign over all. He is our Savior, and there is nobody else that can do that for us. He came as our servant to minister to us that we might become his servant, and that we might be servant to others, not so we could put ourselves up on some high pedestal and think how good we are, but that we can tell everybody how great he is, praise God. Thank God. His relationship also included his being this fourth thing. That's our sacred friend. We sang earlier, what a friend we have in Jesus. You see, following our reading in John 13, Jesus goes on to tell these disciples of that betrayal that he's about to face by Judas, of their abandonment of him, all of them, and of Peter's denial. He shares with them, as we saw in John chapter 14 last week, he shares with them these wonderful promises of how he was going to send the Holy Spirit 
to be one with us and us one with him and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all in one as God. Now as we look just a bit further on, following John chapter 14, we come to John chapter 15. Remember at this point, they are on their way. The Lord's Supper, the Last Supper is finished. They're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what's waiting for him there. He knows what is beyond that. And here in John chapter 15, he begins to impress on them the importance of our abiding in him and him in us using this great illustration of the vine and the branches. And it's during this talk that he lays emphasis on another aspect of our relationship with him. And as we look there this evening, notice in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 9, he says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. He wants your joy to be full. He wants his joy his perfect joy to be in you. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus has asked us to love one another with the same love we've seen illustrated in, in, in these passages this morning and this evening, so small in comparison to what it really is, that unconditional love. We talked this morning about amazing how attitudes change when somebody turns up that's offended you. It's amazing how your thinking changes. Amazing how your position in a room can change. Your handshake can change. The look on your face can change. Well, you can speak a million words without ever speaking a word. He said, greater love hath no man than a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. You see, if you belong to him, if you're living by his word, by his commandments, he's your friend. He's your friend. And this, really, when you stop and think, he's on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he gives him this great truth that no greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends. He was getting ready to lay down his life, to show that love. He says, henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. 
For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Note back there to verse 13 again. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends. If you do whatsoever I command you, henceforth I call ye not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. See, the, the Lord is showing us another side of this relationship. He's not saying here, well, I didn't really come as a servant. I don't really want you to be a servant. That relationship is there, but I want to show you something else. Here, I'm not going to call you a servant. I'm going to call you a friend. You see, I'm calling it a sacred friendship because I promise you this. You know, there is no other friendship in all the world that is as important as this one. True friends are hard to come by. And when we find them, they should be cherished. But this is a friendship that is sacred above all others. Friends are important for a lot of reasons. But we can make a long list this evening. There are a lot of things that we can say about friendship. But let me give you just a couple of things just to try to remind you what Jesus is talking about here. First, you know, friendship has to know, I'm just calling it knowledge, with things that we know. What do you mean, preacher? Who are you willing to share your most intimate details with? Who are you willing to share your darkest secrets with? Some stranger that you meet on the street for the first time? Maybe a servant that you have authority over? I don't think so. I think the real fact is, is that that's part of what being a friend is all about. That's part of friendship, accepting each other for who you are, talking, sharing, able to divulge those most intimate details that you can't share with other people because this relationship is special. You have a bond. You're there for each other. James chapter 2, verse 23 says, And the Scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. The first thing is Abraham's faith. Abraham had faith in God. And because of his faith in God, he received God's grace. And what does the Bible says? 
it was imputed unto him for righteousness. That faith, he wasn't righteous himself, but the righteousness of God was imputed to him. And the Bible says, he was called the friend of God. He tells us here in John 15 and 15 that as a friend that we are given access to the mind of God, of what God thinks. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. You see, he's told us we are privileged, folks. And yet, how important is it to us? We are privileged to be able to hold what I believe with all of my heart is the inspired, infallible, inerrant, preserved Word of God right here. And do you know what? That through the Spirit that we saw in John chapter 14 last week that lives within us to be able to receive and understand the things that God knows. The world, the natural man, it can't receive those things. But because we are his friends, we are privileged. Because it's only his friends, only the ones within whom the Spirit dwells, that can understand such things. Of course, friendship isn't just about what we know about each other, is it? But it's also what we feel and how we act. You see, it's about kindness, isn't it? We know that we enjoy showing our love. We enjoy showing that love for friends by acts of kindness, by giving them gifts, by doing things for them. I know sometimes we can do acts of kindness for strangers. The thing is, the people that we know that we care about, our friends Boy, we enjoy being able to do something for them that's going to help them, that's going to make their life better. You see, Abraham, again, as a friend of God, is a great example of this. The seed of Abraham have received and will still receive special kindnesses from God. What do you mean? Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7 God says, Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and listen, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever? It wasn't just Abraham, but all of his descendants. Spiritually, you're one of those descendants today. Our reading in John 15, it shows us a few of those kindnesses that he's shown to us. 
We won't go back and read the verses, but in verses 9 and 10, it talks about his love, his love that he's shown to us. In verse 11, it's his joy that he's given to us. Verse 13, it's his life. His greatest kindness of all was shown at Calvary. In verse 15, his word, knowledge. Verse 16 shows us that we received his choice. He chose us to save us and to set us apart for service, to ordain us. Verse 16, he also gave you his name so that you could go to the Father, that you could pray in his name that the Father would hear and answer those prayers. Our relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to remind you this evening of the wonder of that relationship. He is our sovereign. He is our Savior. He is our servant to minister to us that we might become his servant and be servant to others, and he is our sacred friend. There's many other aspects but I want to give you one other this evening. In some, in some ways, this is maybe the hardest one to grasp, the hardest one to understand. Matter of fact, we sang a song earlier. I've had people in the past say, well, you know, I don't feel comfortable singing that verse there where it talks about him being my brother. I said, well, that's what the Bible says, though. You see, our relationship with him, yes, sovereign, savior, servant, sacred friend, but also our sibling, our brother. He's not ashamed to be our brother. He's not ashamed to call us brother. We find that even if we find this more difficult, I'm saying to you this evening, God says, and, and ladies, before I read the passage, you're not being left out here because you're not a brother this evening. <laughs> you see, you're just as surely as his sister. You're in that same relationship. He is our brother. The term is showing us another aspect of that relationship. And every lady is just as surely included just like often in Scripture when God speaks of man and he's speaking of mankind and all of us, who, what makes us his sibling? What makes him our brother? Well, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 to 11 says this. It says, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Listen, for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause 
he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Brethren. Well, is that what he really meant? Well, if you want to try to pronounce the word in Greek, you can. It's something like Adelphus, which is what that word is that is translated brethren there in your Bible. What does it mean? It means a brother. Whether born of the same two parents or only of the same father or mother. It means having the same national ancestor, belonging to the same people or countrymen. Any fellow or man, a fellow believer, united to another by the bond of affection, an associate in employment or office, brethren in Christ, his brothers by blood. All men, apostles, Christians, as those who are exalted to the same heavenly places. You see, if you are sanctified through him, if you are set apart through the Lord Jesus Christ, then he's not ashamed to be your brother. Have you ever really pondered on what that really means? You see, what's hard for us to get our heads around sometimes is how can we have him on the one hand as the sovereign of all sovereigns? <laughs> how can we have him as the Savior that paid the price that nobody else could to pay for our sins? How can we have him as a servant that came to serve us so that we could become his servant and so that we could serve others? Because that's the direction as he, that's the direction all of us should be going is to be servant, to serve others, not to have others serving us. Even as a sacred friend, a friend like no other, but to also see him as, as a sibling, to have him as a brother, that's, that's hard to grasp. But you see, Jesus wants you to understand what the relationship that as a believer that you have with him, these are all trying to get you to understand the preciousness of that relationship. And you should be striving with your life to make that relationship all that it can be. Have you considered the intimacy of this relationship with Jesus Christ that is described in these terms, I find it mind-boggling. I find it so awesome that it's, it's hard for my mind to, to really understand it, to, to, to grasp it in, in sure ways, but I also find it very exciting, very encouraging, very strengthening. My relationship with Him He's my sovereign. He's my savior. He came as a servant to me so that I could become his servant, servant to others. He's the most sacred friend in all the world. He's my sibling. We're the same family. He's not ashamed to be my brother because of that relationship. I said earlier that I hope and pray that all of you know him as your sovereign and as your Savior because only then 
can you begin to enter into these other relationships? That's the only way that they can be. The simple truth is, is that as Christians, we need to be aware all the time of Jesus Christ, his nearness. And the simple truth is this. If our relationship with him is as it ought to be, we'll be stronger, we'll be happier, we'll be encouraged in the spite of all those things that are trying their best to drag us down and to get us down. We've got things that are beyond this world. Yes, we live in a real world, but I want to tell you this is one relationship. What If you reach that point that you don't think anybody else cares, you know, that's what a part of what the church family is all about. That's why we encourage you to be a part of a local body, to be united, to be there for one another. You see, I, I couldn't be more honest when I said that, I, you know, I don't, I don't care if it's two, three, four in the morning. If you've got a need and you need me, then it's your fault if you don't call me. I've had a few people call me those times in the morning that I wish that they didn't. That's not because I didn't love them. Simple truth is, is that we've got to be there for each other. But I'm saying, if you take it all away, you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ that the Bible gives us such a picture of the intimacy that we ought to have with him. Folks, we can make it through anything. We can get through it, not because of who we are, but because of who he is in our relationship to him. And I hope today that these words will be an encouragement to you. Hope that maybe that not what this preacher said, but what God's word has said has just reminded you. If it's somebody that's been listening here tonight, somebody that's listening out there later, I want to say to you, and I wouldn't want to leave without telling you, that if you don't know, and I've said this so many times, I don't care what you know in this world. I don't care who you know in this world. I don't care, you know, what else that you've got going for you or not going for you. If you don't know one thing with absolute positive certainty, and that's that you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then I pray this evening. I pray that you'll do whatever is needed in your life. You know, none of your other relationships, people love each other in this world that are not Christians. People do a lot of good things. But whoever you are and whatever your relationships are now, if they're good ones in the flesh, oh, I can only promise you, <laughs> there'll be so much more with him. The reality is, is that you need that in your life more than anything. And Christians... I want to encourage you. Has God spoken to you? Have you been maybe letting yourself be defeated? Allowing yourself to feel sorry for yourself? Have you been getting on the wrong track of these things because you forgot about your relationship with Jesus Christ and just what all that it really means? Let that be if there's one relationship above all else. Because when you work on that one to get it right, you're going to have a desire to get those others right as well. 
Father, we thank you this evening. We thank you for your word, and Lord, we've only just skimmed the surface. But I think in this passage, Lord, that you have shown us, reminded us as you were getting ready to leave this world, as you were getting ready to face well, the greatest terror that any man has ever faced. Lord, I thank you that you took the time to remind us of our relationship with you. To remind those that were walking with you in those days and those of us that you have preserved these words for us today. Lord, I do pray. I pray that if there's anyone that's listening here tonight or that ever listens to these words that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and the absolute certainty of that, I pray that you'd help them right now to begin to seek for that, to try to understand and know this relationship that can only be had with him and through him. Father, I pray that you would work in their hearts as only you can. Give them the understanding and the faith that they need. And for every Christian, Lord, I pray that you would use it to strengthen, to encourage, and yes, maybe even to challenge us. But there's some things that we need to do different. There's some things we need to remember. Lord, help us to be more like you. Help us to serve and love those around us, regardless of how totally undeserving they are, regardless of what they've done to us or how they've hurt us. Help us to follow the example that was set to us by our Lord, to humble himself and to wash their dirty feet, the very ones that were going to betray him, deny him, abandon him. And yet he washed all their feet. Help us, Lord, to have that attitude towards those around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. 